Welcome to Season 3 of the M-W Tactical Podcast. Sit back and enjoy the conversations with the mad scientist and myself as we discuss the sport of shooting, goals, training, and everyday life. You are listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. All right, good people. We're back at it again with another installation of the M-W Tactical Podcast going into week four. And this week's show is sponsored by Premier Hearing, who is also a stage sponsor for the 2021 South Carolina sectional taking place April 30th through May 2nd at Bel- in Belton, South Carolina. Ooh, I'm chewing all my words up over here. So without further ado, of course, you know, I got to bring him in, my main man, the man with the plan, the man who I always call when I have an issue with the firearm, the mad scientist himself, Dave. What's going on, Dave? What's going on, Mike? I'm trying to um, figure out some new technology for me here. They're doing the uh, webcam uh, recording here. It's going to go on YouTube. Yeah. In addition to our podcast, we'll be able to, you know, add a little video yeah, get so a we, little more depth to our conversations, maybe. So we decided to go ahead and open up the the block a little bit, as we say <laughs> it. Whereas um, if you listen to it on audio, you're always going to get the same thing, we, what we talk about each week since we came back. But if you want the visual effect, head on over to YouTube, the M-W Tactical Channel, or check it out on CSRA's Facebook page, whereas... We're going to start bringing video to the chats that we do. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing yet. Um, so it may not go well for a couple weeks here, but we'll, we'll get it figured out. Hey, that, that, that makes for the, the better content. <laughs> <laughs> if you ask me, that makes for the better content. Yeah, we'll start so- sharing the wrong videos or something going on. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Yeah. So um, what do you have planned? for the upcoming weekend this coming weekend um we're doing the last csra shooters match of the year um this will be after thanksgiving we're just you know it's a normal csra shooters match for us but it's going to be we're not going to do one in december because of the holidays uh christmas is you know toward the end of the month and we have our match at the end of the month so we normally don't do a a december match this is the last one for the month um that's what we're gonna that's what i have planned for this weekend i'm gonna set up friday get the match set up friday everything ready to go saturday morning we're gonna shoot the match nice well for me i decided not to shoot a match this weekend and i'm gonna focus more on trigger prep and drawing out the holster that's probably a good idea yeah, yeah, I'm saying, I mean, I got all these stuff, so I'm just going to go ahead and put to practice to make it a worthwhile journey for the Florida section that's coming up in December. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. That's that's my last major match that I'm shooting of the month, or the, the for the year. Yeah, I'm, um, actually, I'm in that same boat with you. And that was a last-minute decision for me because of i didn't know anything about it until we was actually holding the conversation and it was in the chat and somebody mentioned it and i was like what's going on here and when i looked it up and i was like oh, okay well let me go ahead and sign up for that one so i 
actually signed up for it early in the year mm-hmm. and forgot about it. And, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Travis uh, Crane and his wife, Stephanie, they, they do the podcast um, Sunday Morning Shooting Group. Right. Um, they're actually going, and uh, Nancy Grunet, who's a, a co-host on the podcast as well, they're going. So there's a big group of us from the area going to this match. And I, at the time, they, they told me they were going. I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to go in December, forgetting that I'd already signed up for the match. So I went to try to register. I, I decided I was going to go again, right. <laughs> and go. it wouldn't let me register. <laughs> What's that? You got a Doppler ganger out there? <laughs> so, yeah, I had plans to shoot it, forgot about it, and then made plans again to shoot it. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, like I said, for me, it was a last-minute thing, and I was like, okay, I'll just go ahead and do it because I was thinking national was going to be my final match for the year. And of course, if I do a local match here or there, it's just tune up and practice, you know, but my mindset really is right now that I would rather shoot a major match over a number of level one matches, right? Nothing against this, just the way the formula works for us in the shooting sport. That's what I like. The, the most of it i think they're a lot more fun to match wise they're they're typically they're they're run a little smoother made you know major matches level two matches level three matches like we've been shooting um you know they got they, there's more planning that goes into it um typically you know for us they involve a little bit of travel a little extra money but they're usually more more fun a little more challenging I totally agree. And I do believe that I probably would have had a better experience at nationals if I would have swiped a banner and had it in my background. (laughs) (laughs) I needed a cool background like yours. I don't have an M-W tactical wallpaper. It looks like you got in your room there. (laughs) That was a donation. I was holding a conversation with somebody and it was a donation. So I was just like, oh, okay, cool. That's I like that. You have the whole house wallpapered like that? Actually, <laughs> this right here is just a backdrop for me. But if you actually walk through my house, I don't like having pictures on the wall. I have pictures on top of my safe. I have pictures on top of the, um, the mantle over the fireplace. I have picture like right here on top of my printer. But if you walk through my house, you're going to see targetry on the walls. this is actually hanging on a uh target a full-size target it's a target stand i have that banner (laughs) (laughs) so like in my bedroom i have this one little like quarter size uh uspsa target but on the other wall i got three paper plates six inch paper plates representing steel then if you go in my living room i have three full-size USPSA targets on one wall. Another wall, I got the two paper plates. And then it's a little popper, like over top of the fireplace. And then I had three more six-inch paper plates under those targets. But yeah, it was like, the you know, like when it's summertime <laughs> when it got hot and cold. So it kept falling. So I was just like, okay, cool. I'll just keep up whatever's up right now. But that 3M tape actually works though. That's what I actually use, painter's tape and that yeah. 3M tape. 
I start, I have a room, uh, I have my, I don't know what they call the room. My wife calls it the gun room, but I don't really have any guns in there. I'm not sure why she calls it that, but that's where I have all my targets on the walls. I got f targets on four, you know, around four walls of the room and I have my reloading bench in there and some, you know, gym equipment and stuff, but that's where I do my dry fire. Yeah. The room that I have, whereas I do the reloading, I call it El Cabanino. And I don't know how I came up with that name. I was talking with my brother. And he was like, man, you over here making up names. And I was like, that don't mean anything. Yeah. He's like, no. <laughs> you know, because he actually um, very fluent in Spanish. You know. But I wanted to go ahead and um, talk about nationals. Mm. So we just got finished with nationals not too long ago. And nationals was a three-day event where she shot seven stages a day but there were 22 stages at nationals so that was my first experience at a major match of the such i think it overwhelmed me and when i say that in the sense of saying overwhelming i did not know what to expect to go into it because three days was enough to throw me off balance the other thing that threw me off balance was reading and seeing videos of the prior matches, which was carry optics before um, the open and limited division. And they had that one target that was 35 yards. Now for people who are not doing the math, 35 yards does equate to like a hundred feet, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I'm like, Holy cow. So that kind of punked me out a little bit. And that one was 40 yards. It seemed like, man, that one, that one was way out there. <laughs> yeah, it was way out there. But what I ended up doing was making adjustments because of that one target prior to going to nationals. And I, I'm still kicking myself because I shouldn't have done it. You know. What adjustments did you make that screwed you up? I actually put a target out 35 yards. <laughs> yeah. And practice it. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, I did practice it, but when I practiced it, I was rushing it. Uh, it wasn't like it was like a 30-minute process for me. It was actually rushed because Coach B had to go someplace, and I was like, well, let me just do the zero right quick. And when I did it, I did it backwards, <laughs> right? And I really wasn't thinking, but when I said, okay, I got three shots on target, so I'm good, you know? And then, of course – um, I didn't go back out the next day to go shoot it again just to verify because it started raining. And then the next time I shot it was at nationals. I get you. Yeah. So, but um, let's talk about this, that train wreck after this commercial break. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we need a break. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about um, what, what all did you like and did you learn from nationals as well? So, Everybody, please stay in your seats and hear a few words from our sponsors. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm gonna be, come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing the Hunter's HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. 
So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com. And I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. JM4 Tactical has developed a state-of-the-art polymer holster that will quickly become your go-to holster. With high-quality Hermit Oak leather, securely sewn to the interior of the molded outer Bolteron shell, your draw becomes silent and no more scratches up and down your firearm. When seconds count, you can rest assured that you will have the upper hand when you need it most. Whether you carry open or concealed, the Relic Holster is available in four different models, fitting over hundreds of different style guns. The new reliable, easy, light, individual carry holster by JM4 Tactical. Order your Relic today at jm4tactical.com. Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, and the marked up prices that come with a brick and mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store or is sent to a federally licensed middleman called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina concealed weapons permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAE Transfers. Thank you for your business, and I look forward to seeing you soon. All right, good people. We're back at it again, and coming off of the break, of course, the mad scientist, Dave, and myself, we're talking about Nationals and the train wreck that I had at Nationals, but I honestly was under the impression, my thoughts, that you did very, very well at Nationals, but you were still upset about it. Well, I get I did fairly well. Um, I did about the same as I did last year, is which was still decent. I finished twenty um, second overall in open, so that's my national ranking mm-hmm. in open divisions. Twenty uh, second. Um, I just I was expecting more out of myself, right? And I was I was leading uh, master division or. Um, class in open for the first two days i was feeling really good i was having a good time shooting really well and then something happened on the third day and it started slipping oh what happened on third day i I don't know i think it was just mental fatigue i started making mistakes um getting penalties that i hadn't i shouldn't get and it was nothing i wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary I, i think it was a combination of I think not getting enough sleep in, in the night before in that scenario, we were shooting the second day was PM. So we didn't leave the range until six 30 that afternoon. And then we were shooting AM on the third day. So we had to be back at the range at six 30. So I left the range, grabbed some dinner. We all met up, grabbed some dinner, uh, ran back to the hotel, cleaned my gun, cleaned myself, tried to go in, straight to bed got straight back up went to the range again and it was it was mental fatigue and i think a little physical 
unpreparedness, I guess. I don't know. Just got to me on the third day, started making mistakes and let my lead uh, slip, ended up finishing third master, uh, 22nd overall, which is good, but I know I can do better. That's why I was, I was disappointed in that. If I would have shot the way I was shooting on the first two days, if I would have done that on the third day, I would have been happy with regardless of what place I finished. Um, but I screwed up third day. <laughs> Wasn't happy about that. I can see that. But you you made a valid point when you made the mention shooting between PM and AM. Because when I shot, I shot PM, AM, PM. And that second day of shooting, it really bothered me to the point of like my sleep was off, but I felt like I was more tired shooting the second day, you know, and yeah. it was, and it's all because of what we had to do to prepare for the next day. But mm -hmm. the third day, it wasn't as bad because I could have, you know, I slept in a little bit longer, you know, on the third day. Yeah. You were on the opposite schedule. Correct. So you did that PMAM on the, between the first and second day. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so, um, yeah, you know, I, I really didn't think of it from that respect. Well, I, I didn't either until I got into the third day and started hitting penalty targets and missing stuff. Right. <laughs> That's all good. That's all good. I mean, it's a learning lesson. It's a learning lesson. Yep, yep. Now, one thing I used to do back when I was at the Fight House at Fort Benning, mm -hmm. and – if we had something, an event going on, whenever it was going on that time, that's the time frame we would train for. So let's just happen to say you was training for a cage fight. And if the cage mm -hmm. fight was at okay. like 6 p.m. on a Saturday, your training regiment will be between the hours of 4 to 7. Yeah. You know saying? So you're preparing for that time frame. So everything works out for you a little bit oh that's a good idea though yeah so and that's that's one thing that i've always done over the course of time whereas i like to work out in the morning time better than anything yeah that works works better for me yeah so if i do anything in the evening time it's more of a struggle for me to find the motivation to make it work you know but if something was taking place that time frame, it's easier for me to say, okay, I'm just going to change the the training schedule and then go into it. And then probably about two or three days, you get into a, a groove of it and then you're good up until that event. And then you kind of slack off and go back to your other habits that you was doing. Yeah. I, uh, I don't know, just with this year being so crazy with everything going on. I didn't feel like I, going into the whole, the nationals as a whole, I didn't feel like I was prepared enough. I didn't feel like I had enough live fire practice. I, I wasn't as comfortable as I'd like to be as I was last year. I felt I did a lot of live fire going into nationals and, and felt really good about, about things. Uh, I don't know. just struggled. Year's been crazy. Haven't been able to get out and live fire enough to make myself comfortable leading up to it. I, got you. I did. I did well. I had a good time. Um, just, I know I can do better. Well, since you said you could do better, what stage did you find to be the better stage, but 
also which one was the one that you learned the most on the better stage mm-hmm. one i shot the best i think was the little quick one that i'm not sure if it became a classifier or not uh i can share it i think it can i'm going to try to share a video yeah let's do that let's break it down <laughs> the, this one was simple stage it was a turn and draw let me share it can i share it is it gonna let me it should sharing there we go okay so this one uh for the audio listeners it was it's a pretty simple stage it's it's stationary for the pretty much turn and draw and you have three paper targets and six steel poppers and you're in, instructed to engage either the steel array or paper array uh, perform a mandatory reload and then engage the other array strong hand only um, so this one i chose to do the turn and draw into the paper i went right into the um, that first partial paper target on the left just transition across to the open and then finished on the last partial. Reloaded and did um, all the steel strong hand only from right to left. And I, I shot it really well. Um, I think there's a little clip of the video. Looked well, pretty smooth to me. That was it. So I, I finished that one and I think I got sixth sixth place on that stage but that one was so quick i mean sixth place uh for, between first and sixth there it was uh bill drummond actually got first place on that stage with a what did he have i wrote it down earlier it's like seven one seven point one nine is that right I don't know. It was, it was like half a second between first and six. <laughs> that one was really quick, but I don't, I'm just, you know, one for one on the steel strong hand only um, can be an intimidating. A lot of people don't like shooting steel in general and um, looking at shooting steel one handed can be, can definitely be intimidating. But um, that one, I, I, I worked out well for me. I practice, you know, strong hand weekend stuff. Um, it just worked out practice turn and draw it's it's some kind of unique stuff that doesn't normally get practiced a lot but i'm i make it a point to to always throw that stuff in the, into my practice into my dry fire for you know when when it comes up now when we actually got to this stage i even stated that i can foresee this one becoming a classifier but I'm not certain if it did or did not become. I don't remember. I don't. I don't think it did. Yeah, because I, I wish I, it would. That was a. It was a cool stage. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a fun one. It was very fun. Um, I can compare what I did, not to say that I, I was keeping up with you or anything, to that notion, but I'm gonna go ahead and pull up the video that I done. See your video. It's working. We're doing it. Yeah. You got to make it <laughs> Go fun. check out YouTube. <laughs> yeah, you got to make it fun. So, um, when you actually sit right here and you look at it, I didn't I was only focusing on the areas I was hitting at. And of course, 
at this stage, my rounds were still hitting low. So even though I'm aiming at the, the meteor portion of the target with the no shoots on it, that first target, I was, I literally hit the no shoot and I think I hit it twice, but here's the video when it's playing. So I felt confident going into it. It was just the next stage because the way it ran for us, you did this stage first, and then you there was a stage that was next to this one. And yeah. of course, when I walked into the second stage, it was more along the lines of I was already beating myself up, you know? So it, Oh, go, going into the other stage? Yeah, so... It, it was more of like a mental challenge, but it's one of those type things where it's, hey, it happened, let it go, you know, watch the video, learn from it later, you know. But when I when I hit that no shoot, and I was like, oh, my goodness, here we go. And as soon as I said that, it was like that the next stage, I actually ended up hitting the no shoot also. <laughs> so the, well, you were impacting low from from your sight adjustment, right? Correct. Well, yeah, that sucks. I mean, there's, yeah, you need to have your gun sighted in before you go to nationals. <laughs> well, I think what I'm gonna do now is I'm not gonna touch <laughs> anything that I have. Once I start the shooting season, I'm just gonna keep it and I'm just gonna rock with what I got. You know. All right. Can I share another one that I think I learned a lot from? Yes. Yes. Let's do that. This one. Um, didn't work out quite like I had planned. I was the first shooter on the stage and it had um, activators. And we, of course, we got to watch it. They, um, for those of you that don't know, um, when you are the first shooter on a stage, when the squad first gets to a new stage and there are any kind of activator targets or, or whatever, the first shooter gets to pretend that he has shot the activating steel or, or whatever the prop is that activates the moving target and you get to demo it. And then you, you get a, you know, your walkthrough time period, four or five minutes, whatever it is. And even though you get to see it demoed, it never, it, I don't know. It's, it's never timed exactly like it is when you're, when you're hitting it with a bullet, somebody's standing back there pushing a piece of steel down. It's not going to fall exactly the same way as it does when you shoot it. And I watched this, um, the demo of this piece of steel fall on the activator. And I told myself I had enough time to pick up two targets before the moving target disappeared on me. And I didn't. <laughs> it was, I was the first shooter on the stage and it was, um, I just went for it. I thought it would work and it didn't. So I was left standing there waiting on the target to reappear before I could leave positions right there. So right. it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it um so what I will watch it here Ed, to get the hat, hat cam. So let me see actually, right here. I thought I could pick up that partial right and then transition to the moving target, but the timing just didn't work out. So if you could have done something different, what would you have done differently as far as this stage run? 
Well, if I would have been able to, to see the activator, seen a couple of people shoot it, I would have realized I didn't have enough time. And I would have just tried to take one of those targets before going to the, the moving target instead of two. Um, just taking one of the um, paper targets. Here, we'll go back here. Here, I, I would have taken one of these targets, um, hmm. probably the partial target. There's an open target and a partial target available. Um, I would have probably hit the activator, taken the partial target, went back to the swinger, and then left on that open target. Right. Um, instead, I was stood there and had to wait on it to come back around. Um, so, you know, what I took away from it is, uh, is it worth the risk, um, you know, being the first shooter on a stage to try a, a difficult timing sequence? Maybe if it works out, but that time it didn't. So I, I don't know that I would take that risk again at the Nationals or, or a big major match. Now, you know, um, I started watching video of taller people who shoot the match. And Christian Saylor, he actually shot this match going backwards and ending where we ended it on the right-hand side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was pretty unique. And I'm still trying to understand his movement and why. You know, not not to say that I'm I'm going to mimic his movements. It's more along the lines of, for instance, for me, I'm someone who likes to shoot left to right, whereas you probably get out of five people, you might get two people that likes to shoot right to left. You know. But, yeah, I, I think in general, most people shoot left to right more often and right. you know just become more comfortable with it it's most most shooters are right-handed right and it helps from a safety aspect to do your your reloads that way moving through mm -hmm. a stage from left to right you don't have to worry about you know while you're reloading the gun you know your muzzle coming around breaking 180 i think we all just kind of get in that habit get more comfortable with it because we do it more often yeah, and I think the reason why I don't like to move to the left, especially on that reload, I got DQ from a match, and I believed it to be a phony call. Mm. You know, because they stated that I turned the firearm and I was moving, like flowing moving. And literally all I did was take one step, turn my hand, put the magazine in, and then I stepped off. You know, and this is back when I was shooting the Q5, like two years ago. You know, so ever since that, that happened, I was just more cautious about moving to the left, so. You have to be cautious about it. And yeah. I mean, I've practiced enough. I'm comfortable shooting either way. I don't mind shooting either way. That stage just, I don't know. It was nice that there are options. Um, you know, we talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, stages that give you options of way of different ways to shoot it. Um, and I don't, it just, it made sense to me the way that I was comfortable shooting the stage. That one in particular, I shot left to right. So this is how I actually ran the stage. So I pretty much began like you did versus I went ahead and took the two targets 
hit the activator and then that was my cue to move out when technically when I got over here to the end I should have took that one target from this corner that I could have seen it would have saved you that shuffle step in the middle correct yeah so um, it, it was this was a unique stage because like you said you could have ran this one three different ways effectively but even in the middle you still had options of what to do oh yeah yeah you had you know you have to go to the middle of the stage no matter which side you start on but even there you still had different options of way of, of how to engage the targets so it was pretty cool right so um i, I pretty much in, enjoyed that stage i thought it was a fun stage now that partial that you led in on because of I think I had one miss on that one because of my shots going low and I'm trying to compensate on the high side. Yeah. And I actually ended up having the one mic on that partial. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of target to shoot at there. It was it was covered up pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, that three day struggle was pretty a pretty fun day, if you ask me. So and like I said, stage it was, one. It was. Yeah, stage one was um, probably my favorite stage out of all of them. And that was one. Was that the shoot house? That was the one that was the shoot house. Yeah. And when you actually look at this one, I was the only one on my squad who actually did this. Now, of course, as I stated, I'm watching video of Christian shoot. And what he did, he started in front of the window and the target with the no shoot, he just um, took that one and then he took the window, right? But for me, what I yeah. did, I decided to come to the corner to take that shot, then this one, go to the window, which alleviated that extra stop once you get into the house. I, I think I, I, ha I don't remember seeing this, but I think I shot it the same way, the way you're describing it. I took both targets right here. Right. So, and that was yeah, the one thing that that's what I did. made sense to me just to go ahead and do that because everybody you, else was pretty much doing it the same way. Did you reload going into the doorway? No, oh, I didn't. No. Actually, I reloaded after I took those two shots right there. Okay. A double stack. I, yeah. And then you finished up. Mm -hmm. Oh, you left that one on the far left. I took that one through the window. I, I don't know. Again, options. <laughs> yeah. And there was a lot of people who were um, doing that from that back window. And I seen maybe one or two people that I was paying attention to. They took that left window like two or three steps in, you know, so it's like they did a quick traverse from the one that was outside the door to the yeah. one that was in the window and then came back to the double stack that was behind that wall, you know. But, that one was fun. Yeah, that that was fun, but it kind of took me back to like doing CQB training in the military. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I had fun with it and you know, but that was probably my favorite stage of the whole match. All right, I'm gonna try. I'll show you how I shot it. Similar um other than I I shot the two targets on the right here and went right to the window 
and I took one target, a far target on the left, right there. That's on the very back side of the of the bay. Mm-hmm. And then I went right in here to reload. And my thought was if I take that back target all the way out of the back, I don't have to do a big wide like 180 degree transition when you get down to the back of it. Right. And there's my reload and then that one and then double stack. And then then I just went to the right here and didn't have to go back, but I don't know. It's a long shot through a window. <laughs> well, like I said, you have a red dot, and there was limited people actually taking that shot on my squad as well. I just didn't see. I thought it would be too much time to literally go ahead and you know like, go ahead and get in that shot through the window. That was a that was a difficult shot through two windows. Now that I look at it, yeah. <laughs> and probably twenty yards or or better. Right. So, eh, I don't know time on a transition or time shooting through two windows. Yeah. But nationals, I think it set the bar for what's to come in the 2021 season. And I believe what's going to take place in the 2021 season, you're going to start seeing those 35, 40 yard targets out there, whether it be still or paper. I think so. <laughs> I think so. I think they, set it for that to take place well you know travis crane helps me out at csra shooters always likes to stretch the targets out there too so yeah, he stretches it out <laughs> with a quarter inch of um, <laughs> you know um, having only the shooting area with minimal display like come on travis <laughs> yeah well it's a, uh, it's part of shooting i mean yeah. Oh, it's a different pro- skill with the yeah. gun. You got to be able to hit stuff <laughs> at a distance. So now I want to show you this video. This was stage 11 at nationals. So mm-hmm. once again, if you are listening to the podcast, please go back and check out the podcast being played on the M-W tactical YouTube channel. And you can see all the videos that we're talking about and the visual image of me and Dave sitting here talking over the computer for the podcast so this was stage 11 three targets in front of you and you was roughly what 12 yards from the targets and both of them had like the far left one had the the hardcover slant from the left shoulder to the right hip and then the right one had it on the opposite side from the right shoulder to the left hip with an open target in the middle so you had to shoot four shots on the left one four shots on the right one or you could have reversed it execute a reload and then four shots in the middle and i think i had the perfect example of trigger freeze on this one okay all right so here we go timer goes off and i'm off and running and trigger freeze we have it i don't see it you're not sharing it oh man hold on i wanted to see the trigger freeze oh man i got too excited i got too excited (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Here, we go, here we go. I'm gonna show you the trigger freeze, and I'm I'm actually gonna play the sound in it also. All right, you ready? Oh yeah. All right, I'm ready. I'm All ready right. to see the trigger freeze. All right, it's a so good example. A lot of people don't understand trigger freeze. It's hard to explain it to a lot of people who don't understand it. And the easiest way for me to tell somebody how not to get trigger freeze: hold your dominant hand, the grip of a hammer as if you're swinging a hammer and your left hand is a tighter grip. 
and some people can't you know fathom one hand holding the same object with two hands tighter than the one hand yeah i it's it's a matter of excess tension in your trigger finger hand is is what it comes from and i actually i demo grip some one of the things i do to help people on the range understand it i'll have them hold the gun out um with their trigger hand you know strong hand only and i'll grip the gun around their hands with their permission around their hand with my support hand and i'll demo the the type of grip that they should have like as far as the strength goes right and sometimes that that, that helps people um you know kind of understand what kind of grip difference that can help alleviate the trigger freeze. So let's see it. Let's see some trigger freeze action here. All right. So here we go. We go ahead and we hit the play button. There we go. <laughs> right on the second target. I thought I was on a roll. I, I was like, man, it sounds good. The rhythm feels good. And then all of a sudden... <laughs> you are getting excited yeah. too much too much tension in the right hand yeah that's what it comes down to because you know anytime i have to shoot a succession like that i start counting to myself and i got this theory that you will pull the trigger as fast as you're saying the numbers effectively so if you got to do four shots you know you're going one two three four one two three four one two three four one two three four um and I keep saying that time and time again. And then when I actually get behind the trigger and I'm saying it as I'm pulling the trigger, one, two, three, four. But when I went to the second target, I wasn't counting. <laughs> and oh, I think that's what it threw you off. Up. Yeah. And I, actually, when I did reload and went back to it, I do remember going one, two, three, four. <laughs> but you can't sit there and lie to yourself and go, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Yeah. I mean, that's. <laughs> I'm glad that's you know, that, that's what you, I did on this stage. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's how your brain works. <laughs> I, um, I'll show you this. I forgot about this stage. It was, man, I shot it really fast. I think I had one of the fastest times um, on that stage, but I had a mic <laughs> and I couldn't find it. Like I was looking at the targets. Um, we were just counting the hits, the holes in the targets. And there was, I was one short. I thought for sure that maybe one of those holes was a like a perfect double right and we couldn't determine you know that it was two shots so it was just going to count as a mic but i went back and looked at this in slow motion and finally saw where my mic ended up so i'll, I'll share you this one and see if you can see the mic there's a mic in there somewhere Oh, actually, I remember we was talking about this. It actually it was me and John talking about this. <laughs> did you? Did you? Could you see it? When when I got home, I started studying the video, and I didn't see it until after you told me about it. <laughs> it's but right. It was on the transition from the first target to the third target, right there. Uh, I had to. I was only able to do it by watching it in slow motion. Mm -hmm but I shot one right in between the first and second target as I was transitioning. Um, I left too early on the third shot and it went right in between the first and second target. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember when I was talking to um, Brandon 
he had actually made the comment they couldn't determine if you shot one less shot or if you actually missed it. And I said, well, Dave is pretty fast on the trigger. <laughs> we were listening. I, man, we went, I was pissed because I thought I was, I was going to have to take a mic off of a perfect double. I was certain that I didn't miss the target. So how in the world would I have missed that? Right. It was pretty close, um, but I did. We were listening to it and I could not discern. I, I finally, I really felt like I was hearing four shots on that first target. Mm -hmm. but they were so fast it was kind of hard to tell from the audio and i couldn't see a miss but slow motion actually showed there was a miss in between the first two targets there yeah i feel better knowing what happened now right (laughs) (laughs) what i actually ended up doing when i got back to the room i watched that video for maybe about 10 minutes just replaying i did too i couldn't i I was counting yeah i was counting the bullets because on my phone i couldn't determine if it was a hit or not so i was listening for the the rounds and of course i did make the determination that all the shots were there so yeah there had to either be a miss or like you said it had to be a perfect double but because i was on my phone i couldn't like play detective so i was like okay i'll do it when i get home that's yeah i was trying to do it on my phone too that was it was difficult but right <laughs> that was interesting <laughs> Yeah, so like, and like I said, it was um, it was a unique perspective. I really did enjoy nationals. I don't think nationals scared me. It actually motivated me to go back and show what I can actually do next year. Yeah, so there's nothing scary about it. I mean, you're it's a it's a big match. It's a level three match. You're shooting with the best shooters in the country, but it's still just a USPSA match, like you shoot anywhere else. That's true. And I did put too much stress on myself because it's nationals. And by me putting that extra stress on myself, it actually worked against me versus for me. Well, it's easy to do. It's the biggest match we have. Um, You know, most people that are there, you know, the biggest thing we have. Yeah. It's our national championship so it's definitely easy to um put that stress on you yeah um this one this stage right here this is the one stage that actually kind of induced the stress i literally took almost a full three minutes before are you ready (laughs) You because like i said i'm already shooting low and i'm like oh my goodness i don't want to do this and i was here you get the partial targets again and you're worried about hitting low but I, I didn't hit no no shoots on this one. I had all the shots on target. And if you watch it, it was kind of kind of took my time on it. Played it conservative. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so wasn't anything spectacular, but I was really nervous about that one. That one was fun too. There was a lot of little short stages, but they were interesting. They were fun. Yeah. And you know, that stage. Jesse Harrelson ran it just like you did. Like I did? Yeah, I am I screwed up. I actually shot it okay, but I had that issue with the grip and the thumb safety that I'm getting taken care of um, at the end of, end of this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get the grip swapped out. But when I picked it up off the table start, I did not disengage the thumb safety. <laughs> so I was, I got to find it now that you said it. 
But um, I picked it up off the table and was pulling the trigger. Nothing was happening. <laughs> so, I was trying to figure out what was going on. And once I figured it out, it, you know, I shot it fine. But yeah, I don't know. That was just another one of those things. I know I could have done better. <laughs> yeah, like I said, Nationals was nothing more than a learning lesson for me. But at the same time, it was a learning lesson for me. It was something that sparked a fire. And I'm like, okay, I got to come back next year and do this over. All right. All right so here I did a, uh, and I really thought I was going to smoke the stage. And <laughs> then I picked it up and didn't take the thumb safety off. But um, we're going to get that corrected. End of the year, I'm getting a new grip on there that will alleviate. <laughs> Here I am. Right there. <laughs> figure out what's going on. It was still awesome, though, um, to watch how you actually <laughs> the speed on it. Because. <laughs> oh, okay. It just, it makes me laugh. I like laughing at myself when I do stupid stuff. Now, I notice a lot of times what you do when you shoot, you do laugh also like <laughs> when you do a mistake because everybody be like, was he laughing? I was like, yeah. There <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, <what? laughs> I am. Well, I want my gun work. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I've fought with that grip all year. It's just not, it just doesn't fit my hands correctly like i need it to but get a new send it back to limcat we're gonna get a bigger grip put on it and it should take care of that problem nice well that's that's a good thing right there so um we actually had the interview portion for this week with jacob taylor who shoots with team phoenix trinity i was about to say team honcho but <laughs> team, <laughs> team honcho yeah <laughs> And he actually placed very well at nationals. We actually had a very good conversation. So did he beat me? Go ahead. Did he beat me? Uh, he came in 13th overall. Did he really? Yeah. yeah. So, um, and like I said, it was, it was a very interesting conversation and I'm definitely going to bring him back again. And when we actually go do, the Florida section in December, Jacob and I are on the same squad. So he did I, beat me. Yeah. So I think it's going to be pretty good. <laughs> you know, now well, before I do take off, I do want to share one more thing. It's not a video, but for everybody who was listening to the podcast a couple of weeks ago, we made an announcement that we actually signed up with, JM4 Tactical. And look at that. Look at that picture right there. So, man, that's a good looking shirt. Yeah, <laughs> man. Like I said, I, big things are coming. Big things are coming. So, this was a photo shoot from the past weekend. And I'm ready. That's all I'm going to say. I'm ready to put some things into motion. You look taller. Well,. <laughs> If you would have heard the conversations, we, <laughs> <laughs> my height was a challenge for the camera. <laughs> and I'm only calling him the camera guy right now because I didn't get the rights to use his name or his business prior to this podcasting. But 
There you have it. And like we said, um, 2021, I think it's going to be a great year. I think it's going to be a great year for us. Yeah, I hope so. I'm a little bit nervous about it with everything going on. Um, yeah, I yeah. hope it. I hope it's a great year. I do. I really do. Yeah, it will. So I want to go ahead. Oh, anything you want to say prior to us um, taking the next commercial break and jumping into the interview portion with Jacob? Well, congratulations, Jacob. Beat me at nationals. That's right. I'm coming back for you next year. <laughs> and um, just want to thank thank my sponsors and uh, one of the guys back here, the Blue Bullets. They actually sponsored the Factory Gun National Championship this year. Um, and Gun Butter and uh, Sharpshooters Outdoor Range here in Augusta, Georgia, where we're having the CSRA Shooters match this weekend. Last one of the year. Come come check us out well well this will air it already be over but anyway 2021 come check us out at csra shooters um and hunters hd gold that's it right there so if you will stay in your seats check out these few words from our sponsors and please stay in your seats and listen to the interview with jacob taylor from team phoenix trinity Huncho, team Huncho. i like that one <laughs> And that's that. Hi, this is Jesse Harrison, and you're listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. What's up, good people? Thank you for taking the time and listening to the M-W Tactical Podcast. Please, go visit the M-W Tactical store at www.m-wtactical.com forward slash store and help support our efforts by purchasing a shirt or two. If you haven't done so, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for M-W Tactical. The Gun Cleaners. Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially if you still carry. The gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another. And you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there. Order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com. I'm Jason Pratt, Masterclass USPSA shooter, owner of Brass Monkey Bullets. If you're interested in competition bullets, visit www.brassmonkeybulletsllc.com or call me at 423-967-1063. For more information, my email is brassmonkeybulletsllc at gmail.com. Thank you. All right, good people, we're back at it again. And this week's conversation is with someone who I met at East Alabama Gun Club a few months ago. Seen this guy shoot and I was like, holy cow, that's very impressive. And if you remember from the past conversations we had, especially with John Browning, that this is the same time I met today's guest. So without further ado, 
I want to welcome Jacob Taylor to the M-W Tactical Podcast. What's going on, Jacob? Yeah, no, thanks for that very kind intro. How are you doing? Oh, yeah. Everything's good, man. You know, we're two peas in a pod in this <laughs> sport called shooting, and everybody wants to be the best and fast at the same time. So, you know how it goes. So, like, just bring everybody together. Let's learn from each other. Have fun and competition. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, let me ask you straight off from the top. Who is Jacob Taylor? You know, you told me that this is going to be the question. I put a lot of thought into it, and I, I keep coming to the the same couple answers. And it's uh, mm -hmm. obvious, or not obviously, but I am a husband. I am a father. I'm a normal, productive member of society. But like at my base, very simple to figure out. I uh, am a student of shooting. Love shooting. It is everything I think about. It's everything I do. Uh, pretty much surrounds my entire life, other than my day job. But I'm working on that. And uh, I mean, that, that's pretty much it, man. All right. So we know shooting is something that drives us because everybody who is heavy into shooting, that's their driving force. But what actually got you into shooting to dive in head first 100%? Oh, bro. It's, it's always super, it's super embarrassing. <laughs> well, I'll tell you mine because mine is more embarrassing than yours. <laughs> <laughs> so I, John Wick came out. I don't know when, right? Right. And I loved it. He I, he had the P30L, and I just thought it looked super cool. He had that frame weight on it. It was, and I would tell him this to my buddy, and he had shot a couple IDPA matches, and he was like, and I hadn't shot anything, and he he goes, yeah, well, come out to a match with me. So I went out to an IDPA match with a VP nine with one of those weight uh, compensators on it and right. a custom like Kydex holster that me and my buddy made with a hair dryer, like a couple other things. And it was solely based off because I thought John Wick was cool. And then it turns out that shooting itself is way cooler than that movie could ever be. So uh, that's, that's how I got into it. <laughs> <laughs> At least the competitive side of it. I've been shooting squirrels for a long time, but. Oh, I got you. I got you. So to let you know about my journey with um, USPSA shooting, I was stationed at Fort Benning and I took a class with Homeland Security that's out there on Fort Benning. Uh, freaking what's his name? Uh, Eric, Eric Spaulding? Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah great guy. Yes. Um, and actually, I haven't spoken with him in years, but I'm pretty sure if you was to go to him and talk to him, he'll actually remember all this also. <laughs> so. Part of the class was going out to shoot a match because one of the questions in the class, how good of a shooter do you really think you are? And mm -hmm. of course, um, me and uh, my buddy who I used to work with because I was working at the combative school at that time, mm -hmm. we are both in there like, yeah, man, this is too easy. We got this hands down. Man, we get out there to that match, man, we got mm -hmm. blown out the water. But the one portion that was very impressive, there was a woman out there who was like 50, 55 years old blew us all out the water and yeah. I, was, mm -hmm. I can't have that happen again <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how it started with me all right so now we know that you started off with idpa shooting you moved over to uspsa shooting now what division do you shoot open and i have from the beginning i mean like obviously everybody shoots a match or two and limited minor 
because that's the full size gun you have laying around the house. If you like guns to begin with and you show up with what you got and everybody starts a limited minor, I maybe shot three or four matches because I, I wanted to shoot at East Alabama, but I knew there was good people there. It's mm -hmm. a great local range. And then the talent pool used to be a lot deeper. Everybody's sort of like gone away, but I was always nervous to go there and mess up. So what I, what I did after I realized how bad I was at shooting, I would go to Atlanta and shoot an indoor match. And it, they did every Tuesday and I think Thursday or something up there. Mm -hmm. And I did four matches in USPSA up there in limited minor and then showed up to a match in East Alabama. And I think within three or four matches, I had an open gun bought from a, a local guy around here. And I've just always done it since. Oh, man. So now what gun are you shooting now? So uh, I have two. I brought them up here. Uh, two Phoenix Trinity Honchos. Uh, one with three or four barrels and one with two barrels, I think. Uh, and uh, that's that's obviously I've had other open guns in between now and then, but that is my current gun. It's also the team that I shoot for, uh, Tiffany and Brian, uh, Phoenix Trinity down in Florida. Great people, great product. And I that's my favorite one so far. And I'm not just saying that. I have a bunch of like statistical reasons why it is my favorite, not just like I'm sponsored. I'm going to say that. Yeah. Right, right. Well, give me your top three reasons why that's your favorite. Uh, first and foremost, it runs. And I, I hear other people, they say this gun runs or that gun runs. And I had this gun and it didn't work. And especially in the, the world of, of high capacity 2011s. And it, to me, the common denominator in all those conversations is always the person, not necessarily the gun or the gun builder. So I've had guns that despite all my best efforts and everybody else, they just wouldn't run and uh, work in practice at locals. As soon as you take them to a major, it's like they had performance anxiety or something. And then, uh, so it runs. Uh, two, just the, the, the interchangeability. Like I could do so many things with that gun and have done so many things with that gun where in the past it was always a pipe dream or calling up people and asking for equipment or stuff like that. And then thirdly, uh, I, I just really like the way it looks, man. I think looks is like, it's like 99% of shooting opens. Like, man, that guy is hauling ass and his gun's really cool looking. You know, I want to be that guy, you know? So the third one is I think it looks great. I really do. Nice. So when I first got introduced to um, Phoenix Trinity and Honcho, it was with Wally and then it carried over to Tom Powers. So Love Tom. Yeah, so right now I think I am going to get one, but it's going to be like in the distant future, not the near future, but the distant future. That sounds like you have patience, and that's not what a lot of people have. And that, oh. that like, that always gears like what open gun they're going to buy because they have zero patience. And if you're waiting a little while, the extra weight for the gun will, will make it even that much sweeter when you finally get it. Exactly. Now, I do have a lot of patience, but Tom is always trying to push me to do open. My other buddy, Dave, he wants me to try to do open, but I'm scared of open. Ah. The only reason I'm scared of open is, is because of everything price-wise. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> I don't know anything different, dude. I've, I've only ever done it. So, like, to me, like, it, it always just makes sense. It's like, just, just do it. But, like, the more conversations I have with people that are like you that are, oh, man, it just costs a lot. And, and it, honestly, it does. But if you were to, like, price analyze between a division that's supposed to be cheaper uh, per year against open and the the difference is marginal the, like the in the in price like the to get into it is is maybe like a grand or two higher but like after you do that you got the gear figured out like 
the benefits it has to the rest of your marksmanship brain by shooting open is way more beneficial than like just going off price driven unless like you just don't have the economical means to do it you know yeah. I, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that hopefully but uh i think shooting open makes you a better shooter in everything now you're the probably about the fifth or sixth person that said that to me in comparison to the two people that said carry optics will do the same thing and it could it could it now could. Are you saying that just because of the dot or the overall complex of the setup? So it, it is the dot, like 90% dot, 10% uh, major scoring. It, and, and, the, and I'm not just saying that in terms of like, so you can win a match, right? Mm -hmm. Because I have people all the time that like, they want to teach tactical stuff or, or do X, Y, and Z, and they harp on high A zone, high A zone, high A zone. Well, guess what, man? If I hit you with a Delta before you can hit me with a freaking high A zone, I think I might win the gunfight. You know what I mean? So the ability to go fast because of the scoring allows you to, and then the visual processing that you are built, the eye speed, the, the brain speed, all of these things, the neuroplasticity that comes with velocitizing your body at higher speeds all the time. And then suddenly like, it's like uh, coming off the highway doing hundred and you get on a 20 mile an hour road. It's like, damn, we are, we are not even moving forward. So once you get to the point to where you're pushing the pace so fast all the time, going at a comfortable pace and uh, in anywhere portion of your life, like if you had to defend yourself or something like that with your firearm, is going to seem like going 20 mile an hour as opposed to like your normal hundred. And I, I firmly believe that. I think I think every, and plus, I mean, do you like condoms and freaking like speed limits or do you like you know strippers and beer? Because Open is uh, the NASCAR of, uh, or I think it's the half fun division. I like big mags. I like major scoring and I like going fast. You know what I mean? That's Ricky Bobby, that shit. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm all about limited, but I think before I jump to another division, I do want to hit my goal in limited at least. And that's what is your goal? Master. I, I okay. want to at least reach master in limited. But um, I had a conversation with Tom maybe two days ago and we had a conversation about taking break so i might venture into something else and i've been dancing around with possibly getting um an optic armor for my yeah. author and yeah. probably dive into carry optics for two or three months and then come back to limited you know something along that line uh the the more limiting divisions to me are super fun as being like a student of uspsa i think mm -hmm. like for me, like I was shooting limited. I would have shot limited this weekend at the Tomasi class uh, that I just took if I, I, I just couldn't get 40 cal in time. But um, I, I love the, the divisions that limit a little bit. Like to me, like production is a super fun division just because of the way that it changes how you attack things. And it opens up like more opportunities for a stage for creativity uh, of like an open or like uh, or PCC. Like there's pretty much one fast way to do it and everybody else is going to do it the same damn way. You know what I mean? Pretty much. Yeah. Does it faster. yeah. And I noticed that like even at nationals on a super squad, if one person does it one way and then they analyze it and then you'll see everybody running it that same way, it's just a matter who can do it faster. Yep. Versus yep. a local match, I'm starting to see people mimic whoever the go-to person is, but then you'll have that one person to be, I can't do that. My abilities allow me to do this. Yep. That's one standalone. And I was like, okay, I can respect that person more versus somebody just following somebody just because, you know. I like the people that, that take into account like 
target size distance and for like stage plans or X, Y, and Z, but then at the same time, like their own ability, but in an honest way, not to limit themselves, but to say like, Hey, like, uh, Travis said all weekend rules of tens. I cannot, how many times out of 10, can I do that successfully? And if the person's like, well, if it's three or four, I'm not going to do that. Uh, especially if it's in comparison to like the local GM or something like that. And I, I completely agree with you. I have a lot of respect for the people that are like, you know what, man, I'm going to do it this way. Cause I can do it nine times out of 10 that way. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the rules I learned when I was like a private in the military. If you can do it 10 times, you're good. But if mm -hmm. you can do it three or four times up, oh, put it on the back <laughs> shelf, come back to it later. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that's it. So we ran into each other at nationals a few weeks ago. Yep. And you placed pretty high on the charts. So this is the top shooters in the nation shooting this match and you placed 13th, 12th? Yes, uh, it was thir it was 13th. Uh, it was 12th for like, but then in the middle of arbitration, I got bumped down another spot. And oh, there was an arbitration? Yeah. I thought it was a rumor. <laughs> no, no, I, I was 12th. And then, I mean, mm -hmm. I didn't say anything, but then next right. thing I know, I was 13th. So it, I hope it was legitimate. I'm sure it was. It's a national competition. So I deserved the place I got. It actually was like uh, my expectation. It wasn't my goal, but it was my expectation because I had set like uh, like best case and then expectation and then goal or goal then expectation. So expectation was top 15, like on any given day, I think where I'm at currently, I could get top 15 as long as I apply what I had. Like if I really pushed and uh, went after it, uh, a top 10 is uh, where everyone wants to be in open nats, if not first. And then uh, like best case is somehow randomly, I wind up like top eight, you know, but it, it was it was within my expectation. So I'm not, I'm not too bummed out about it. Uh, I'm happy with it, but I mean, obviously there's always improvement and there's new goals now set for next year. Right. So I got a lot of new goals I'm setting up for next year as well. And um, one of those goals is footwork and speed. Right. No. So I'm, I'm thinking I'm starting to figure out how to put it together, whereas it works for me. And I think what a lot of my problem was for the past year and a half, two years, everybody I was looking at and getting advice from was shorter than me. I'm six five. You know, so the way a shorter person move compared to how I move is two totally different techniques. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I have to bring that in and, you know, recharge that plan. So are you talking speed in terms of actual shooting in between targets, in between yeah. positions? Like, Position. is it overall speed, but uh, the position stuff? Okay. Yeah. Get in, but getting from point A to point B because... I'm a firm believer because everybody wants to be fast on the trigger off the rip, right? Mm -hmm. But I'm a firm believer and the more you do it, you're naturally going to get faster at it because you're going to start seeing that sight faster the mm -hmm. more you do it. But if I can get from point A to point B faster, I, of course I will be faster on the trigger as well. So I always, uh, uh, like I see people move through stages and, and they'll be like, well, uh, like I'll ask them, did that feel fast to you? And uh, I'll be like, yeah, you know, I thought I was pretty fast. And I'll be like, I, and, I, and, I, and then I go into kind of like very politely, like, hey, it wasn't fast. And I'm not talking about the shooting by any means. I'm talking about uh, the positional stuff and then getting from A to B. And then like, uh, or if you're practicing with somebody, the same, the same scenario. And then in that scenario, which I've been in before, I'll take 
take the gun out of your hand, like set the gun on the table and then move from that position to that position and air gun. Mm -hmm. And it is almost always like faster than it is with a gun. I think, I don't know what it is about putting a gun in someone's hand, but it automatically puts a limiter on their ability to just go run from position to position, which is like most of the speed that comes throughout a stage is just your overall effort from position to position. I think it's an, it's an interesting, like, uh, mental, I guess, tick that most shooters have. And then the ones at the top don't, like, I, I think they could care whether or not the gun's anywhere near them. They're going to do and go as hard as they possibly can from position to position. There's a lot of meat on the bone for a lot of people in that exact respect. I, at least I believe. Yeah. And I'm very guilty of that. And I do believe part of the reason is a lot of people try to perform out of their actual talent skill you know so of course you could be running you see the target and then of course you're coming up finger on the trigger you have that ad right yeah and, and i think that's what it is a lot of people are playing it safe with the firearm in their hand and you can't fault them for that but just that mindset alone like you said it limits your actual ability to get there as far as movement i would set like a couple parameters right like a gun is only going to fire if you put your finger on the trigger, at least for this conversation, right? And then so as long as my muzzle is nowhere near anyone else and my finger is firmly on the side of that gun, and even if you wanted to break it down a little further like JJ does in his reloads, and I know other people do for long movements, they pop that safety on if they have one uh, in between positions. As long as you follow those guidelines, uh, the rest of it sort of falls where it may because like I, I think it's common sense, at least like fight or flight kind of mode, not to put your hand in front of the gun when yeah. you're doing these things and other stuff like that. To me, I feel safe in doing anything as long as I don't break those couple few rules. And obviously you could come up with more rules if you wanted to, like that are more that are also common sense. But to me, it's always it's never been a problem to just sling that gun around from position to position to work my arms or my body to put maximum effort into moving around i have i've absolutely conversely though been caught up in just being lazy on stages like you were saying like being lazy from position to position and getting smoked on raw time simply because i just wasn't moving properly yeah and um even like so like when i look at my videos i can actually tell you okay i gotta work on this i gotta work on that so during this off season that's all i'm gonna work on i'm gonna work on footwork cardio and moving from point A to point B. And I think that's going to be a game changer going into the 2021 season. I should throw some, uh, some weightlifting in there, uh, some, some three by five, five by five weight rep schemes mm -hmm. in there that works the, the explosive type. That's the kind of same kind of like concept that a lot of weightlifters, and I mean, actual weightlifting, so snatch and clean and jerk use. And those are the most explosive athletes, I think, in any sport is the dudes that are taking 450 pounds from the ground and slinging it over their head in probably like three quarters of a second, like, uh, the amount of power that these guys develop. And uh, when I when I feel like I moved around stages a lot more, when I had more time, it seemed like uh, I was super big into Olympic weightlifting. And that's what I did prior to shooting. That was my hobby. And then so it translated into shooting because of the short sprint speeds and then like the explosive type muscles that get built while doing those, the, that sport in itself. And like, 
I definitely feel like I'm not as uh, nimble as I used to be because I don't do it as much. I actually just started doing it. Like you have, a, you want to work on cardio and then the positional speed and stuff like that. I've actually got my lazy ass back into the gym and started slinging weight around again, hopefully trying to get myself geared up for next season right. kind of deal. So we're in, we're in pretty much the same boat, which I think a lot of people are in the rebuild phase. Right. So now what is the actual practice session like for you? So, um, I don't put a lot of thought into practice to be honest with you. Uh, and I'm saying like, I don't, I don't really plan out anything. I, I have three target stands in my backyard. I'm lucky enough to be able to shoot in my backyard. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have friends that uh, help me with ammo. And uh, I have three target stands. So like at most I could have like six targets. I have three double stacks, but it's never a large uh, amount of targets. Uh, I have a player act too, but it's kind of weird shooting it. My neighbors might get mad. They might tell me that it's ricocheting, even though I know that it's not, but whatever. Uh, so I do a lot of six sixes. I think the basis of practical shooting is like six reload, six reload, six kind of deal. If you looked at it in the, the older times and I, it, a lot of the classifiers still hold true. So uh, it's either going to be distance change up of some type. Uh, it's going to be, transitions in depth transitions in width and i don't do a lot of of shooting on the move or anything like that uh that's always never never really been a problem to me uh mainly because i just ignore my dot anyway and i see what feels right and pull the trigger but uh a lot of transitions 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 wide transitions small transitions other things like that and then uh i don't do a lot of manipulations in practice uh it's mainly what is my dot doing? How am I employing my focus uh, on the dot in terms of like my plane? Because uh, people think you got a dot, there's one uh, focal plane, the target. And uh, to me, not for every shot. I, I, I think there's going to be more times where I'm either going to be looking at the target and then seeing the dot on the target, or I'm going to be seeing the target through the dot. So a little bit more of a dot focus when uh, I'm focusing more on accuracy. I think there's, there's, there's like, there's, there, I mean, you could throw a, a different focus in there if you want, if it made you feel better, but for me, there's two. And so it's, uh, it's a lot of uh, six reload, six, a lot of uh, hammering in weird target orders. And I don't necessarily pick a drill and then stick to it for 200 rounds. I might do a rep or two on that, and then I'll change up the, the way I shoot it. And then I practice visualization while I'm doing it. So I'll do it in really weird orders. And uh, one of the biggest, one of the best ways I found it that one of the best rules for doing that, for practicing visualization with a low amount of targets and getting the most out of it is Kwanzaa uh, Kim, uh, his, uh, what's it called? Doesn't matter. Uh, he has one target that he comes back to in between any other targets, any other order and after every reload. So it's kind of like a V drill, I guess you could say. There's always a target you're going to come back to. Uh, and I do, I do that a lot. And so working on the tempo changes from closer to farther or hard shot to easy shot. And then obviously the, the meat of a lot of people's problems is transition. So I, I do that a lot a really precise transitions is the point, but yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's pretty much what I, that's what I really kind of concentrate on. Yeah. I know like when I talk to Wally all the time, that's what he always focuses on. Like with our conversations, He's always transitions, transitions, transitions. And he breaks it down whenever he watches me shoot or if I send him a video, he'll be like, okay, you did this. And I can tell because you did it like that. 
So mm -hmm. you need to focus on this portion of transition. And then um, it was maybe three or four months ago. He was like, put a target up. And if you put a target up on your wall in your house, just put another target up, something different. And then go from there to there and just keep working on that. And eventually your eyes are going to build up and the speed and everything looking at the sights. So yeah, pretty much the same thing that you're expressing. Like he was, he was expressing it more in dry fire. So uh, done a lot of, God, I've done a lot of dry fire. Uh, I actually, I'm one of the few people that enjoys dry fire. I just like touching and playing with guns, period. So it's not the end of the world for me to go downstairs and I have a, a gun room uh, where I have like all my reloading stuff and my safe and I got all these targets up on the walls and I would do that a lot of uh, uh, a bunch of different types of target presentations to get like your mind used to seeing them. So when you see them in a match, they're not new to you or like you don't fear them kind of deal. Uh, but the transitions, not only just for like an El Perez scenario with three targets at 10 yards, like a yard apart kind of deal, uh, uh, in depth. And you can see Sailor is the best at this, I think, in terms of like going from a 35 yard partial target in this extreme scenario to a two yard open paper. Nobody hammers that kind of transition like him. So, uh, and then the same thing, a transition from a target around uh, like a vision barrier to another target that you can't see immediately. He's really good at that transition where a lot of people will go and look for that target with their eyes and then point their gun to it. He already has key points picked out on whatever that object is, where the vision barrier is that he's dragging his gun across and that's their, his cue to start shooting kind of deal. It's uh, almost like shooting through a loophole. I don't know if you ever did any of that in your military days, but it's, it's, it's the concept of loophole shooting without all the math. And that was a big thing that uh, the biggest takeaway I had from Tomasi's class this weekend is, is how to put that into practice. Cause I it, there was like four or five different types of those uh, target presentations at nationals that killed at least like six or seven seconds on my overall time on the match. And had I been better at them or known how to practice them, uh, it would, could have bumped me another spot or two. Uh, so transitions and not just in the traditional sense, but in every sense, blind transitions, blind. He called them blind. Um, you know, I got my notes and I'm just completely blacking out. I'm going to call it blind transitions and then predictive shooting to uh, is another concept that he was pushing to push your transitional speed in between like the standard transition, like just from a paper to a paper that you can see in one position uh, shooting like before you're ready, pretty much like, you know, the target's going to be there kind of deal and getting on the trigger a lot faster, not moving your gun faster or anything like that, unless you can move it faster, uh, but pulling the trigger sooner. And we were doing that a lot and surprisingly getting uh, A's I, all day on it, like just kind of making myself rip on the trigger way before I was ready. And I was still getting an A zone hit. And uh, I think it's a big, uh, the comfortability zone. It'll push her. Like uh, he kept saying velocitize. Like I didn't come up with that word. He did. It'll keep, it'll keep acclimatizing you to do to doing stuff at a higher rate of speed to where it'll become natural and you don't have to think about it. And that's, that's what the best shooters are doing. And that's why they're whipping everybody's ass because their unconscious confidence is, way up here and ours is down freaking here you know yeah we're working it safe so let me ask you how did you become part of team phoenix trinity dude i tell people all the time and i tell tiffany i think it's just from my ability to talk shit to be completely honest with you <laughs> <laughs> if you ever met tiffany 
She is the sweetest woman on the planet, but she's, I mean, she's, uh, she's rough around. She reminds me of my mom, to be honest with you. She's a real mean old girl. And I love it. I, I love it. So, uh, there's a kid. I don't know if you've ever met him. His name's Devin Wagner. He, uh, really good junior shooter. And uh, he's not a junior no more, or at least not in the USA, but, uh, I've known him for a few years, knew him and his dad, uh, so we knew each other for a long time. Devin got hooked up with uh, PT uh, just from being a great shooter. And he was always down there, me and him would Skype, FaceTime, whatever you want to call it, with video chat. And she'd always be in the background, her and Brian. And I'd always be talking shit to him, telling her their gun was ugly, just messing with him. Because uh, I had one of the, their uh, their competitors' guns at the time. And like they just liked to get on me about that. So flop earlier this year, I went down there and that gun I had, Oh my God. It was six stages of malfunction. If there was a 20 second stage that I had a 25 second malfunction on, like we actually looked on the clock in between like shot and shot from out. And it was, it was so bad. And she was there the whole day. Cause I was squatted with Devin and they had given me a gun that they had a backup gun and they were like, Hey, just take the shotgun and shoot it for the rest of the match. Tell us what you, what you think. And at one point I looked at him and I said, guys, uh, you know, if you let me take this gun home, I will sell my Atlas and then buy it. And she's like, well, how about you just take a jersey home and then uh, we'll call our we'll call ourselves even. So I don't really know what I did to deserve her grace because it really is and, and has helped me ter- tremendously in at least and in, in the shooting sports. And I can't be more appreciative of, of her support and her company and the products that they put out that allow me to have a malfunction free season. I, I'm not even joking. I, I and I don't know who else has disease right? like. There hasn't been a single malfunction on that gun that wasn't like caused by me. And I can count on one hand the ones that were caused by me. There's probably three, three total, I think. And I shot like six or seven majors this year. Mm-hmm. And none of them were because of the gun. And it was, it was, it's been, it's been really awesome. That's-, That's it right there. So we actually interviewed Tiffany during season two of this podcast. And um, that was a pretty fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> right there. Two parties, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, is there anything else you want to cover um, far as what's taking place in the shooting world with you? I don't, what, uh, like, what, how about this? I'll ask you this question. What do you, what do you feel like the biggest hindrance is to the modern day shooter that's not achieving the goals that they've set for? The mental block of what everybody else is doing. Um, a lot of people who I speak with, they'll reference somebody who's at the top of the game, you know? So for instance, like one guy who we shoot with, he always referenced Ben Stoger, but I keep telling him, you are not Ben Stoger. So how you step is not how Ben Stoger is going to step. So you need to figure out what's going to work for you. He might be able to give you that advice, but you need to chop it up to make it work specifically for you and i think that's what a lot of the hindrance is is everybody is trying to mimic what somebody in the top is doing versus taking what they've done and mold it to work for you i can get i agree with that a lot of a lot of uh uh i don't even know i don't even know what i could call it i i can agree with that a lot actually uh if you if you, if I had to ask myself that same, but we were we were discussing this earlier this year, and to actually this weekend, I don't think that people understand the amount of commitment that is required to uh, to get to where 
the people that you are admiring are. Um, at the same time, like they, uh, and, and to go back to your point is that people will keep pushing into this like natural ability kind of deal. Like Ben's been a GM since he started shooting USPSA. Like the dude just is naturally good at it. But if you go back and dive into like before he ever shot a classifier, the amount of work that he put in specifically towards classifiers in order to become a GM the first time. And then, so uh, I was having this conversation with Tomasi and I was, I was telling him why being a coach nowadays it sucks ass. It's because <laughs> uh, everybody wants that magic bullet, right? They they want that one thing that's just that they're gonna hear and suddenly like everything's gonna make sense and 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 the world will be right, you know, and all the and that they'll be shooting uh, the best in the world the next day kind of deal. And there and then there just isn't. There isn't any secrets to shooting. It uh it is all hard work, I believe. I, I truly I, I do. Um and, and they don't want to put into it. Like uh, these same people are going to lie to themselves and they're going to say, well, I drive fire. Like really, man, if we really had to analyze how many, how much you drive fired uh, over the past week or in between the local monthly match, like it could probably amount to a, a time of maybe 30 minutes. And then if you chalk that up to somebody who's winning, they, it, it would, it would amount to days, especially over a month. It would amount to days, the amount of dry fire that gets put in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they understand that concept. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know with me and when I talk to people about dry fire, I tell them specifically at one point in time, I was dedicating at least three hours a day to dry fire. Then when my schedule got a little bit busy and now I'll do like 30 minutes here, 20 minutes there, I can see a big difference when I'm shooting because the performance just drops off because mm-hmm. you're not getting, you don't have that repetition that you've been used to maybe three or four months ago. So eventually it's going to start ticking away and now you're struggling a little bit, but to somebody else, they might look like you're just having an off day. No, I'm just haven't been dropping. (laughs) That's what the problem is. (laughs) NFL athletes don't even have an off season. Like the off season is more practice. (laughs) Those guys every day of the week, they're practicing and they're going out and they're performing because of it or conversely. Uh, I think a lot of people, and and then to me, like it's honestly, the thirst for the knowledge that is required to to get to that next step and i keep saying there's not a lot of secrets to shooting and there isn't but like there was some stuff by some shooters that i i respect as shooters this weekend that were at the class with us and um they didn't know like the something that seems to me common freaking sense in terms of shooting competitively or fast in any respect and they didn't know and to me i think that's just a lack of of your ability to go out and find the information that is required. It was, it was small stuff. It was like the same old thing that everybody talks about, like your splits don't matter as much, but your transitions do. So like if you have 15 splits and you have a 20 transition, like that is probably the best. If I had 18 splits and, and 18 transitions, I would beat you all day across the whole match kind of deal. And it was these concepts that were being pushed to me that were, uh, uh, commonplace and were new foundings to uh, to other people it really was it was it was kind of eye-opening and i see this all the time now you keep referencing there's no secret to shooting i believe there is a secret to shooting and tell me please i want to know and i discovered it so what is it what is it? here's the secret to shooting figuring out how your body works in different positions to apply it to the task at hand 
because once you know, you I can break that down a little simpler for you. Go for it. It's all right. It's about aligning whatever site you have onto the desired target that you want to hit and then pulling the trigger without disturbing that. I feel like that's, that's, that that's is. Great. That's the reference right there. Yep. Yeah. That's the reference. So pretty much um, I've always said that to all my friends, especially like everybody who's diving in and like people who work eight hours a day, but then their hobby is shooting and they, Hey, we need to figure this out. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it just comes down to is you have to figure yourself out and know what your limitations, your strengths and weaknesses to push for it. I'm glad that you said that because uh, that, that dives into another thing I harp on all the time. I don't think shooters are honest enough with themselves. Yes. I like as to what they've seen or yeah. how they did something. Cause there's a lot of shooters. Uh, it's a, all right. We'll bring it back to being in the military. All right. So a dude starts falling asleep next to you, right? You mm -hmm. smack and wake them up. And yeah. what do they do? They immediately start arguing that they weren't asleep. I wasn't even asleep. if you lost their eyes closed. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so it's the same thing. That like uh, my buddy Chris, and I think it's just because it's coming from my mouth. But um, he'll do something on a stage, and I'm like, man, uh, I don't know if you know, you were really lazy in that part, and your gun was two feet below where you needed it to be, like ten seconds after you got in that position for some random reason, and be like, get get super offended at me real quick, and be like, no, it wasn't, and. I, I know that it's probably just coming from me, but like a lot of shooters will do that. And they're like, I'm not going to do And then and if you tell them and then they believe it, they don't make the conscious effort to correct it. Right. I don't know. And I know that's one thing I do. Like if, if somebody says something to me on a stage, it also depends on who it comes from. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the big part yeah. right there. Cause you know, re respect value amongst people varies, but yeah. If somebody says something to me, I will take it into hand. But now the next thing, I'm going to prove that okay, I wasn't doing that that last stage. It's like, let me let me show you something right. It's almost one of those type things. Did, did you uh, did did you meet any of your goals you might have had for this season? I've met two of the five, right? And um, one of them was making it to B class, mm -hmm. and then the other portion of it was to start rising when it comes to the classifiers but the one thing i did was i stopped doing classifiers and i started shooting more major matches so and that kind of like exposed that classifier you know um, goal yeah like now i'm comparing myself in a match with top graded shooters so like even so, when so I did, you got, you got classifications based off of matches this year, and they right. were better than your normal than your classifiers. Is is uh area six was a little bit lower than um the average at that time when I was doing the classifiers. So I ended up getting like uh fifty eight percent, sixty percent at area six. You know um the Georgia match. match, yeah, that was a rough match. That was a rough match. Um, I think it was the Georgia match had three um three GMs in it. And I think I got like 70 something percent in that match. There you go. Yeah. And um, North Carolina, it didn't have three GMs. It had two GMs, but I want to say I ended up doing 72, 73 in that match. And I've then, actually told people they'll, they'll talk about the like the, the inefficiencies of the, the USPSA classifier system and how it pertains to your actual ability to like execute high speed marksmanship. I was looking at them, I'm like, well, go shoot some majors. 
You know what I mean? Like if you think you would be better, and I'm glad that you're doing that. I'm glad yeah. that you're doing that because like if you truly believe that you're just not good at classifiers, then go take your ass to a major match. There's going to be some field courses that you can get a direct comparison to people that you're chasing, and then ultimately get a classification based off of. Yeah, and actually, like when I sat there, I was like, man, you know, shooting a classifier, that's good because some people will say, okay, I'm only going to shoot local matches. Or I might just do two or three major matches during a year. This year, so far, I've already done five. And then there's one more in December. So that'll put it at six this year. I'll be there. Yeah, I'll be at Florida also. Um, yeah. I think we're on the same squad, as a matter of fact. Are we? All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. I think we are. Yeah, yeah. And then um, next year, the plan is to do two more major matches than I did this year. Right. Do you already kind of picked which ones they're going to be? Or are they going to be areas, states? Like, what do you think? I'm thinking um, more state matches. Of course, nationals is going to be yeah. the one. But more state matches and various between area matches. Because yeah. I just signed on with JM4 Tactical. And Texas, I want to try to hit their state and area match out there. But I don't think they're doing an area match in Texas next year. I it might be like Nevada or something crazy like that. Texas is so damn big, they could have their own fucking nationals, man. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Do you do any other type of, of, of shooting uh, uh, other than USPSA? No, like when I was in the military, I was diving into everything. So I did I, a little bit of IDPA um, because when I was stationed there, you know how it was IDPA, the next week would be USPSA. And I really saw Alabama? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't doing like all the traveling around because of being there in the military and I wasn't too in depth in the sport as I am now. So yeah. it was just anything that was happening at East Alabama, that's where I would be at. Wasn't that when Kyle was running uh, IDPA? Kyle, uh, he had a really, really hard last name, redheaded guy. I can't He's really there. remember. I had a bad experience with the IDPA folks out there. Yeah. So, um, I only maybe did three or four months and then I jumped over to USPSA because the USPSA crowd was more welcoming. <laughs> <laughs> you had a bad experience as an IDPA match? <laughs> man, Who'd have thought, man? Man, oh man. I I'll tell you something when we turn the mic on. <laughs> yeah. So um, and like I said, I jumped over to USPSA and then um I was really liking it. But then the job started taking off more for me, you yeah. know. Do you have any last words you want to say to the good people before we take off? No, man, I think we, we covered a good bit of it. My gripes and complaints, thoughts. <laughs> That's yeah. right there. So if anything, um, how can the good people follow you on social media and see any videos that you post of your shooting so they can know who Jacob Taylor is? Uh, you can't. I, I you, can't, you can't i don't have instagram i deactivated facebook a long time ago i have messenger uh that's just so i can communicate with the pt team uh i i felt like it was a giant waste of time so i stopped i stopped messing with it and i don't even know how i ever had time for it in the first place now that i don't have it and i don't look at it at all it's like i feel like i'm i'm going 100 percent of the day every damn day from way before sun up to way after sundown so uh, you can't. I mean, if you if you look up Jacob Taylor on uh, Messenger and you want to shoot me a message and talk, uh, my little profile picture is me standing in red shorts, white shirt, air gunning. So, I mean, that's pretty much it. 
Hey, that's it. You can only respect that, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So please stay in your seats and thank you for coming on to the M-W Tactical Podcast. And I will be seeing you in Florida for that Florida sectional. But here are a few words from our sponsors. Are you in the market to purchase your first or next firearm, but find the atmosphere of a gun store intimidating, crowded, or uninviting? There's a way for you to purchase the gun you want while avoiding the crowds, the gruff salesmen, and the marked up prices that come with a brick and mortar gun store. The process is called a transfer, where the purchase is made in an online store and sent to a federally licensed middleman called an FFL, who processes the paperwork and background check for a firearm purchase. CAE Transfers is the FFL with the lowest transfer cost in the Midlands at only $20 or $15 with the presentation of a South Carolina concealed weapons permit and $10 for repeat customers. If you live in Columbia, South Carolina or its surrounding areas, choose CAE Transfers as your FFL during checkout and let me help you complete your online gun purchase. You can find and follow CAE Transfers online at Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram using at CAE Transfers. Thank you for your business, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Hey, this is Brian Conley at Hunter's HD Gold. If you've never tried Hunter's HD Gold, then I challenge you to find me at a match next year. Go to the website under scheduled events, find out where I'm going to be. Come meet me in person and demo a pair for yourself. Find out why shooters across the United States are changing to Hunter's HD Gold to get 43% more light to their eyes, better contrast, eyes that are not fatigued at the end of the day based on the, the colors that we use, and find out the real meaning of why they change so you don't have to. So check us out on our website, huntershdgold.com, and I look forward to seeing you at the range soon. The Gun Cleaners. Our solvent is, I think, second to none. Our lube is second to none. Their lube's heavier than water, which is just a huge thing. People don't really put a lot of thought into that, just how huge that is to have on your gun, especially with concealed carry. The gun cleaners. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, you're going to sweat a lot of the other lubes off. With ours, it'll stay there. The gun cleaners. And maintaining the quality of the process, the quality of the end result, is another and you guys are able to do both with the process that you have there order your supply of the lube and the solvent at www.theguncleaners.com thank you for taking the time to hang out with us on the m-w tactical podcast remember a new podcast comes out every tuesday if you can't wait for tuesday go listen to past episodes to catch up on what you missed make sure you visit www.m-wtactical.com and see what all is offered on the site where you can even purchase M-W Tactical apparel. But please, go to our Facebook and Instagram page and follow us on our journey in the sport of competition shooting and the realm of the two-way community. Until next week, keep shooting, keep practicing, and have fun.